As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Professional athletes are some of the most disciplined people in the way they work out, in what they do, and how they think, and how they have mind over matter, and all that. Tiger Woods, for instance, I mean, amazing. He practiced 13 hours a day to the off-season to win 15 majors. Michael Phelps, he won 23 gold medals. Can you believe that? 23 gold medals, and he swam over eight miles a day. Mike Tyson, if you're a boxing fan, He would train 50 to 60 hours a week for his match or his uh, opportunity to, to win a title. And he would run between three to four miles a day early in the morning before he would even box to become the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. For those old schoolers in the room, Muhammad Ali used to run six miles a day. So there you go. I mean, it's incredible what they do. Tom Brady, we all look at him and he's so disciplined in the way he eats and what he does. He gets nine hours of sleep every day and and he would practice three times during the season, three times a day and two times in the off season to prepare himself to win seven Super Bowls. Hey, I'm a basketball guy. Kobe Bryant, he would make not shoot, he would make 2,000 shots a day in the summer. 2,000 to win five NBA championships. I have a ball in my office at home that's signed by Larry Bird, one of my favorites. And he literally during the off season would try and make 99 free throws in a row each and every day. That was his goal and he made it most often to go on to win three titles and three MVPs. Athletes are disciplined. I mean, they got a goal in mind and they get it moving and they go forward. So set all that to say this. What about us? What about us as Christians just here in church? I mean, what kind of discipline should we have? What kind of discipline do we need to so-called win the championship? to be all that we can be, to fulfill what God wants, to see God move and to God to do the things that we can. Well, I may surprise you because that's what we're gonna talk about. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter five. If you're visiting with us, joining those online, joining us here, we're so thankful. We'd love to have you here in the house, but we're walking through a series and it's called Guilt-Free Christianity. And we've identified nine steps in the book of Galatians. Today we're on step number seven. And this step is all about practicing the disciplines of the gospel. And what I wanna do today is I wanna give you five disciplines that I see right here in the first few verses of chapter five. And these five disciplines are the five disciplines of guilt-free Christians. And I'm just going to tell you, I am going to surprise you because I'm not going to talk about how much more we need to read the Bible. 
I'm not going to talk about how much more we need to pray. I'm not going to talk about how much more we need to get to church physically, get here, be part of the church, become a member, give. I'm not going to talk about all that. Not because they're not important, because they are. But what I want to talk to you about today is not what you do, but who you are, because what you do flows out of who you are. And that's what I see in this text. And so we're going to identify five things. These are the five disciplines that we want to aim for, that we want to shoot at for, that we want to move and get on target with. So let me go ahead and read. I'm going to start in verse one. Are you with me? That was actually pretty good. Look at verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, if you're joining us new or you're saying, what's that? Those were the rules, the regulations they had to do. And, and, and Paul was trying to free him from that because of what Christ had done. He said, you have severed from Christ, you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither nor circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then look, you can see Paul's heart. You guys were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever it is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Oh, no, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, bless the teaching of your word. Thanks for the apostle Paul. Thanks for his conviction and commitment. Thanks that you've preserved your word for us to read today, that men and women have given their lives for us to have a copy, a reliable copy of this book that is from you. And so use it to feed us, to help us, to grow us. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. amen. All right, we've got five disciplines. Again, Backswing thought for the message today is that these, this, is, this is who we are. This is the things that we do flow out of who we are. That's the book of Galatians. And so the first one is this. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. We stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. We're standing firm. I love how Paul begins this text. Right in chapter one, he uses, or excuse me, chapter five, verse one, he uses those exact words. He uses them a lot. And he says, because Christ has set you free, stand firm, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't go backwards. Hey, I'm trying to get you forwards. Don't take five steps back. Take 10 steps forward. But you gotta stand firm. If you double click on these two English words, what it simply means is to not be moved. 
to be immovable. It requires active alertness. It's what an offensive lineman does when the pass rush is coming. He's trying to make sure nobody's getting through. And so for us to stand firm, it's aggressive. It's not passive. It's you've got to anticipate that somebody's going to knock you over. Some false doctrine in this case, some false truth. How about the culture when you're standing firm against what everybody's saying? We got to hold our ground. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, and, and it requires it. It's not just the. No, it, it's like, you know, it, I got to stand firm and I got to be ready. What if I'm not? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because Paul tells you, he gives you five consequences of being lackadaisical about this message, about not standing firm and submitting to the yoke of slavery. Let's put them right up on the board. I'm gonna go through them quickly. They're the first few verses. In verse two, he says, look, Christ will have no advantage to you. I mean, can you believe the strong language here? Like Christ is worthless if you're not standing firm. The power of the cross is negated in your life. And so think about that for a moment. If, if, if we're backpedaling, like we're negating the power of Christ. That's what he's saying. Do you see it? Second thing is this, that the work of Jesus is rejected. Like you're just saying, no, don't want that. Hey, you know, I understand the whole thing about Jesus coming to forgive my sin but I think I'll take care of my sin anyways, and the only way to take care of your sin if you don't leave it for Christ to forgive is to do it yourself, and to do it yourself, you have to, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Just for some fun, go ahead at home and here, stand up if you wanna keep the whole law. All 630 commands, all the oral tradition, and we just can't do it. Like, we're gonna mess up. Like, we're gonna be off target. Like, there's only one perfect man. His name was? His name is? And guess what? We killed him, man. We, we crucified him. And he did nothing wrong. So, so what happens if I don't stand firm in the work of Christ and what he's done in, in, in the gospel and the freedom that we give? The third thing is this, that the grace of God is severed. And to be severed is literally to be cut off. And so that's the favor of Almighty God in your life. And, and, and that's what Paul says. He uses the ex exact word. You, you're severed from Christ, man. You're separated from him. You would be justified by the law, i.e. for us, justified by works and not by faith. And, and, and look, he says, you've fallen away from grace. You're just, you're just slipping away. And again, another reason he says this is, the essence of the gospel is lost. That's what he talks about in Galatians chapters five, verses five and six. So through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the righteousness, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, all this other stuff that we do, it counts for nothing, but only faith working through love. So these are the reasons that, that we need to stand firm. And so these are the consequences. There's four of them. I don't know, did I say there was five? Well, there's four. The fifth one is this. 
that you are in trouble. <laughs> you are in trouble. We couldn't fit it on the screen. But seriously, that's... If, if we say, I don't want this, I'd rather take the guilt-ridden kind of Christianity. I'd rather take the works-driven where I'm earning my salvation. This is what we're saying. And danger, danger, warning, warning. Paul's like, don't do it, guys. Don't do it, church. He's just warning us. So the second discipline that I want to talk to you about today is we persevere in the grace and truth of the gospel. Both things. Jesus was a perfect combination of grace and truth. It's not grace or truth or truth or grace. It's grace and truth. And so now I just want to walk through these verses with you. Hasn't it been good to study this, this book? I mean, it's hard to believe we've put in, I mean, think about what we've accomplished already. I mean, we've gotten six of these steps down. We're on number seven. We got two more to go. We got two chapters here left, chapter five and chapter six. God is doing some unbelievable things, freeing us here. And as we saw in that video, freeing people in Stateville prison. Is that great or what? Praise the Lord for his goodness and his grace. But let, look at Paul's heart. And so Paul uses an athletic imagery, just as I started out the message with some athletic imagery. He uses it to encourage. I used it to challenge. He says, you were running well. Man, you guys were doing, it was unbelievable. You were going so strong. And, and he says, but, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? He, he's asking him, he's like, who, who got you off track? You were heading in the right direction, moving in. Like, who was it? How many people think Paul knew? I, I think he knew who some of them were. He didn't know all their names, but he could put them in a category. And he says, this persuasion, it's not from him who calls you. What does he mean by that? This is horizontal foolishness. This is not from God. This is not from God. What you're learning is not from God. And Paul's heart, he just, he's like, I want to get you on back, back on track. And he says, look at the results of what happened to the church. It, it's going to mess the church up. Just a little bit, one bad apple spoils the whole. That's his illustration in verse 9. And then he says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And those who are troubling you will bear the penalty. And so what's interesting about that, what Paul's saying here is, I'm leaving it in the hands of the Lord. He's not going to try to solve it. And i got to be honest, just as a pastor now for 23 years in the same place, in the same community, in the same city. Yeah, you don't have to applaud that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> just wait to 25. I'm hoping I'm going to make it. But seriously, now listen. I have a lot of trouble with that. I have a lot of trouble sometimes just giving it over to the Lord. And, and things are unsettling and things are troubling. And you try to solve it. And, and Paul's like, I got confidence in the Lord. That's a message for me. I got confidence in the Lord that I'm going to take care of this. Don't you worry. And, and that's what Paul's saying. I've got confidence that, that, that I'm going to take care of this nonsense that I got to just give it over to God. So what do you need to give over to God? To let him solve, 
to let him settle so that you don't grab hold. And maybe it has to do with your own family or what your sister did or what your brother's doing or what your kids are up to. I'm not saying it eliminates responsibility, but man, I just gotta, I gotta give it to the Lord. And Paul had confidence. And then he goes next. I mean, how bad was it? Paul, tell us how you really feel. Look what he says next. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I mean, that's pretty strong. Anybody agree? I mean, he's just like, like he, he is so upset. He has godly, righteous anger. And so what's he upset about? Well, let's do a little review because I think we're, you know, getting through the book. We're into some major application. We've gotten through a lot of theology but these are the false gospels. And if you haven't been with us for the whole series, this will be help to provide the foundation. You could write them right in your Bible because this is what he was attacking. We've got three false gospels. He was tracking grace plus works. And so grace plus works. Ephesians chapter two, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not as a result of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of good works that no one may boast. So they were adding things to the gospel. For them, we can't necessarily maybe identify with the things that they were adding because we didn't grow up Jewish and we weren't under their system. But we in the church today add things to the gospel. Grace plus works to get us right with God. Second thing, very similar. This is called the review portion. Grace times works. You say, isn't that the same thing? I say, kind of, but not necessarily because what happens sometimes is we Christians understand that we're saved by grace, but then we're like, we're, we're saved by grace, but then we're sanctified by works. And so it's because I'm gonna make myself strong and I'm gonna get myself, it's all through my own self-effort that I'm gonna become and I'm gonna change and become like Christ. No, no, it's not. It's saved by grace and sanctified by grace. And we've shown this verse a number of times, but it's, I want to point it out again. Titus chapter 2. Paul tells Titus, he's just like, man, you got to get this. Teach the people this. It's the grace of God that brings salvation. It's the grace of God that trains you to renounce ungodliness. Do you see it? It's, it's grace that that's about sanctification that's making you holy. Hey, let's praise God for all our young people in the first two rows. Can we praise the Lord? And, and so you can't do it. That, that God's grace trains you and changes you. And as you are in a season and a phase of life where, where all the pressure, all the things, who am I? Who am I going to be? What am I going to do? And I hate to tell you, it doesn't get easier. But, but it's his grace that sustains us. And so the third false gospel is faith minus works. And so this one is found in James chapter 2. James, Jesus' half-brother teaches it. And so let's put it, he says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you can't separate faith and works. No, they, they don't compete with each other. They complement one another. And so if your faith hasn't changed you, then it hasn't saved you. But works are a byproduct of faith. And so they're not the prerequisite, 
They are the byproduct. Here's the false gospels. So that's the review. And so I, I thought we had a page. Let's up uh, the false gospels a review. It's faith plus works. It's faith times works. It's it's that's what the false gospels are all about. And so we've got to be careful that that we're not contributing to that. We've got to stand firm. In, in, in what God wants. We've got to stand firm. And we also have to, as, as we're saying here, we've got to persevere in grace and truth. And so those are the things that, 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 that have to happen. But sometimes it feels really hard. How many have heard of this new sport? It's called face slapping. Has anyone heard of this? Some people are very hesitant to raise their hand in church about this sport. But this sport, it's supposedly come from Russia. I'm a sports guy. I'm just fascinated by these things. And so what they do is they just stand there and their feet can't move. And you get to just slap your opponent. And then they slap you. And it goes on and it goes on until someone goes down. Against my better judgment, let me show you this. I, I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, I slowed it down for you there. And, and, and so, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm getting slapped for my faith. Do you? Sometimes I feel like Paul's saying, stand firm, man. And I got to tell you, like, like, there's some slapping going on with our culture. And there's some slapping with what you believe about the Bible. And there's the false gospels. They just take a slap at you. And what we're trying to live today, like, are we allowed to hit back? Oh, no, he's saying, stand firm. Let your light shine. Stand firm because the third thing, and remember the backswing thought today, it's not about what I do, it's who I am. And what I do flows out of who I am. And, and it's this, that the third thing is this, it's we show and share the love of the gospel. And so that's what we need to do. We're not gonna head back. We're, we're gonna take it. And I'm telling you, it isn't just you. It's God's power at work in you to strengthen you no matter what. And, and so I love, we're going to jump over to verse 13 because what Paul says next is he says, for you who are called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And, and so what he's saying here is, hey, don't use your freedom to be boastful and, and, and go backwards instead of forwards and, and, and to be prideful and look at me and look what I do and I, I keep the law and I'm so perfect and I do this and you're just a little person. That, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I used to be like that. I, I'm not like that anymore. And he says, instead of judging everybody, Christians, judging one another, he, he's just like, hey, serve, love through love, serve each other. And so if we were to double click, how can we, through love, serve each other? Well, sometimes it's about doing a random act of kindness for a stranger. 
Jody and I were driving back from Detroit. We had a uh, we're meeting with several pastors and their wives, and so we, we drove back yesterday. And I get to a gas station, and there's a guy and big guy, bigger than me, and really big. And I'm not that big, but he was strong. And and he came over and he said, "Hey, I, I don't have enough money to get back to Detroit, and um, could could you give me some money and help me fill up my gas tank?" And so you know, normally it's like you know you know you're like ah oh, these guys it's the scammers and all that. And I looked at the size of this guy, and I thought, I'm giving him some money. <laughs> and so, in all seriousness, I was convicted because there was three other people who asked for me for money, and it's, no, it's easy now, and nobody carries cash, you know. And, and I just went over and put my card in his thing, and I filled up his tank. Um, and it had a gas guzzler car, too. I was like, why didn't I just give him the 20 instead of filling up the tank? I don't know. But I just asked him, I said, are you a follower of Christ? Or do, where do you go to church? You know, I go, I know some good churches in Detroit. And I got into a spiritual conversation. I don't know what's up with this guy. I just want to bless the guy. And so maybe it's a random act of kindness. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's you not exercising your freedom in front of somebody who's struggling. And you're going to pull back some freedom that you have in Christ in order to be a good brother or sister that you're not going to cause them to stumble. That's the context of the letter. And hey, I'm not going to do this, you know. And, and so that's what Paul's talking about. Maybe it's showing and sharing the gospel. And so we like to show, hey, people are going to get to Christ because they look at me and I'm such a good person and I do some things and, and, and that's going to really impress them so that then they're going to become a Christian through osmosis. It doesn't work that way. And so the gospel is a verbal transaction. And so I think the challenge for us Christians is we show it really well about how we're different, but we oftentimes don't share it enough. Am I speaking truth today? And so we gotta be a little bit more bold about showing and sharing the love of Christ. And so that quote, I, 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 I like it, kinda, not really. But it goes like this. It's like this idea. Well, the gospel, preach the gospel every day. If necessary, use words. It's freaking always necessary. It's always necessary. You need a verse on that, Romans chapter 10. How will they know without a preacher? Like, like you have to speak up. Now, maybe you're not going to speak up in the moment, but... You have to share. The gospel is a verbal transaction. For we've been entrusted with the gospel, and people aren't going to become, your neighbor's not going to become a Christian because you mow his grass when he goes on vacation or you, you rake his leaves. It just, just doesn't work like that. I wish it did. It would be actually easier, wouldn't it? It would be a lot easier, man. And I would actually, actually help my neighbors out more. <laughs> But we got to share the truth. I've uh, gotten a lot of thanks and, and cards and letters. Um, many of you know we've lived our life openly. Jody's mom has been struggling with um, Alzheimer's and for the last couple years, and it's been a rough battle. And anybody who's gone through aging parents, anybody, it's, it isn't easy. And so she finally went to be with the Lord two weeks ago. And so Doris is with Jesus in heaven. Can we praise God for the truth? that belief in Christ provides hope.
And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Like speak that into the people in your life and maybe those who are going through difficulties that that's true and, and that's what we believe. And, um, you know, Doris, uh, my, my mother-in-law, uh, she's with Jesus now and I'm calling her Doris. I never called her that when she was here. And um, I just called her mom and I'm old school on that and or... I didn't use a name, and um, I laugh at my son-in-laws now. They don't know what to call me. I say, sir, would be good. And, um, but, but Jody started sharing with her mom and when we first became Christians. And, um, you know, uh, it took nine years for us to see any movement. She was, quite honestly, the hardest one because she knew the Bible. She had a lot of religion, a lot of what we're talking about here. Uh, I've shared before, she became a Christian in her 60s. She got baptized at age 69, walking in a tank, age 69. Can you believe this? And just giving it all, surrendering to Christ. And she's in heaven as a result of that decision to follow him. And the fruit of the obedience of getting baptized is just a visual picture for us to know, man, she got it. And so... I want to challenge you with this as we talk about loving by sharing and showing. I'm thankful Jody shared with her, but Jody wasn't the one that led her to Christ. It was discouraging. God oftentimes uses other people. And so she shared, but she was just a seed that was planted. And then other people, what water and God causes the growth and it was actually the left behind series she read it and got saved she was an avid reader can you believe this she reads left behind it's like oh you know and and that's what did it in her 60s hey who are you thinking it's too late for it's never too late it's never too late for somebody to embrace Christ no matter what they've been through, no matter what. That's why our responsibility is to show and to share the gospel, the love of the gospel. So I just want to challenge you. Who is it that you need to be sharing with? Not just showing, but sharing. Who is it that needs to be sitting next to you right here in church? And you've asked, and you've asked, and you've done, and you've done, but the consistency that God causes the growth and that that's what we're called to do is to show and to share because the gospel is a verbal transaction. That's my heart for our church because that's God's heart for this world that we would be his representatives entrusted with the gospel. The scripture says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of Almighty God. Father, I pray for each and every person here that you would give us more boldness. And Lord, I'm not talking about beating people up with the Bible and I'm just saying, like, give us an awareness that, that we need to be the ones. Maybe we're the only ones that are close enough to say a good word for Jesus so that we would reach out, yes, but we would also, we would share your love because the gospel needs to be spread and you will do it through us as we obey. Put on the hearts of each of us now somebody who we can show and share the love of Christ with. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. amen. We're not done. That's not it. We've got two more things. So the next one is this, that we unite in the essentials of the gospel. And so this is really important. And so what Paul does next, and we're going to jump down to verse 15. We'll come back to verse 14. What happens when we don't? 
Well, we bite and we devour and we consume each other. And so that's the friendly fire in the church. Anybody ever been in a church where there's been friendly fire that's caused division? It, it happened. And, and so that's the, the truth that Paul's like, we got to unite on the essentials of what the gospel is all about. So what are the essentials? Because he's saying here, which he's saying, hey, let's not, let's not get fighting over things that aren't important. And so there's, there's things that we can have an open hand with. There's other things that we need to be have a closed fist with. Well, what are the things that we need to be closed fisted at? It's the gospel, the genuineness of the gospel, the fact that God created the world. And you know what? We can argue about how many days or what was it? It's a seven. Was it literal or not? Like, those are important theological truths, but, but are we going to separate on that? Hey, we got to remember that God sent his son. That, that's, and he was holy and sinless. His name is Jesus. And what we got to hold to is that, that we're sinners in need of a savior. And God's son went to the cross. And we believe that he died and was buried. And keyword, a bodily resurrection. That he rose from the grave in bodily form. No, it's not just, an, it's not just some story or he was some spirit. No, he rose. People touched him. He ate. I mean, it was bodily. He rose from the grave to pay the penalty of our sin. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us right now. These are essentials. He was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. These are the things we got to hold tight on. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. That, that the church will be raptured. Hey, when's the rapture? Hey, you know what? Just disagree. It's okay. Some think this. I, I remember when I thought this and I grabbed hold of this because that's what my instructor at Trinity said. And I knew that if you take the same position as the person that is teaching you, your professor, you usually get a better grade. <laughs> now I'm here. Next year I'll be over here. I'm joking, but like, let's make the main thing the main thing. And let's not separate and bite and devour over the minors. Let's major on the majors. So let's bring this back. We wrote this and presented a couple um, weeks ago. And so this is what I call the gospel cheat sheet. This is what we got to grab hold of. So if we could put the gospel cheat sheet up, that would be great. The gospel is not an idea or philosophical system. Hey, the gospel is the story of God's redemption rooted in history. The gospel is not information to attain, that I'm going to stuff my mind with all kinds of things. No, the gospel is truth that changes one's life. Has your life been changed for the gospel? Give me a shout. Praise the Lord. And, and the gospel, it's not a plan for self-help that I can, through my self-efforts, that it's about grace plus works or grace times works. No, it's not what you're going to do. The gospel is the only tr way to truly live by his grace. Hey, the gospel isn't something we do with God's help. Like it's like a little sideshow. No, it's the sheer act of God's grace. The gospel, it's not a small part of the Bible story. It's the very point of the Bible. That's the gospel. The gospel is the essential. Those are the things that what that that we gotta fight for, that we gotta stand firm in, that we've gotta hold together. And so lastly, I call the worship team up and let's take a look at the last thing is this, we reignite our passion and love for the gospel. So again, these are disciplines 
And disciplines can be important what you do, but what you do flows through who you are. And so reignite our passion. Let's jump back to verse 14. And so as we jump back, it says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul's talking about the great commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 22. This is the second part of it. And so he said the first is that you shall love your, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And he's quoting the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so how can I love my neighbor as yourself? Hey, let's just be honest in church. You can't. Did you realize yet that the second commandment flows out of the first one? That when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, you have more capability to love others. The love that you have is multiply. I stand here as a testimony. Nobody here knew me in college. It's good you didn't. Nobody knew me as a young adult when I first got started in the business world. It's good you didn't. Because I'd have a lot of explaining to do. Because I, and hear my heart in this, please. My capacity to love people is, it's on steroids because of the gospel. Like you don't see it. That like my capacity to love has been opened up because of the gospel. Like that's the only reason. Like it's not me. It's God working in me. Your capacity to love others who are unlovable, to forgive those who are unforgivable, it's ignited by the gospel. And so our capacity to love and to forgive and to give and to share and to give somebody something who may not deserve it. It's because of the gospel. And so these are the disciplines. And so I want to personalize them. And so we'll just put them on the screen. And There's the disciplines right there. And so instead of it about being us or we, it's about I. And so we got a moment to get before the Lord and ask him, Lord, would you help me to stand firm in the freedom of the gospel? Would you help me to persevere in grace and truth? Would you help me to show and to share the love? Would you unite me in what the essentials of the gospel truly are? Would you reignite my passion and love for him? And for some, maybe the truth is you're sitting here thinking, how do I do it? Hold last thought. I'm just going to tell you this verse. We're not even going to put it on the screen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. What happens when you lose your first love? Well, that's where some of us are. And, and the Bible says three words. Remember from where you have fallen. That I want you to take a moment and just remember where you were, where grace was and where it still is. And, and then it says repent. And, and that's to turn, repent. And then he says, and redo the things that you once did. Well, redo these things that, that you're doing to gain a heart for God's glory. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Father, would you help us 
to remember where we've been. Would you help us to, even in this moment, repent of what we've done? Would you help us to redo the works that we first did for you? Lord, would you give us a heart and a passion, a pure and holy passion for your word? Would you give us a pure and holy passion for your truth? Would you give us, would you give us one magnificent obsession, Lord? Give us the ambition that we would know and follow hard after you. And Father, that's our heart's cry. And our heart's cry now, we sing to you. If you agree with that, say amen. Let's sing together, please.